I've heard it. You've heard it. It's time for a new beginning. Time to start a fresh page or paint a new picture with our life. Sounds great. In theory, but it can seem impossible. Life is messy. The lines have gotten blurred. Maybe we just don't know where to start. We look at the canvas of our lives and see mistake after mistake after mistake. It's overwhelming. When I look at my life with these messy lines and scribbles, it makes me think, is this as good as it gets? There's no eraser that can make this life make sense. But what if? What if there was someone that could make sense of our mess? They could take all our scribbles, all our mistakes, all our missed opportunities, and make them into a masterpiece. And then I remember, there is Jesus. He gives us a new life. Every day is new. Every day is a blank canvas full of possibility and promise. He takes our canvases, our lives that have been filled up with shortcomings, secrets, tragedies, and embarrassments, and he helps them make sense. When I look at the canvas of my life and I see nothing but disorder and chaos, I have to remember this. God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace. You know what? He wants to take my hand and bring peace to the canvas of my life. So as we seek to make our mark, let us give God all our scribbles, all our mistakes, all our hurts, and trust that he will turn our messy lives into a masterpiece, his masterpiece. Well, that's what it's about. I love that short clip because God, God takes all of our messes and turns them into his masterpiece. And I hope this morning that brings you comfort because some of you are probably here this morning thinking, yeah, well, yeah, there's some mess right now. Maybe it's mess that, that you've created yourself because of things that you've done, things that you thought, decisions you made, and, and you're now sitting in a mess and you're like, oh, I so need a God who can make a masterpiece out of this. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, it's not the mess that I've created. Somebody made this mess for me, and I'm trying to pick up the pieces now, and, and I'm not really sure what to do or where to go or, or how to do this. And, and let me tell you something. God is in the business of taking your mess and making a masterpiece out of it. That's what it's all about. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we sing. That's why we come together. That's why we worship God, because he is in the business of redeeming everything. And I don't know about you, but time after time, <laughs> I have a way of reminding myself that I am so desperately in need of a Redeemer, somebody that can take my mess and make a masterpiece out of it. That's the gospel, and that's why we're here this morning. And I hope that if nothing else that is said this morning offers you encouragement, I hope that that clip does. You can watch that clip over and over and over again if you need to. Skitguys.com is where you'll find it, right on their homepage, and I hope that that, uh, that little clip just brings you comfort. When you think about that God is in the business of taking our messes 
and making masterpieces out of that. Let's pray. God, that's, that's really our prayer. That's my prayer. That's what we want. This morning, we want to be able to, to think about who we are and what we've done and how we've lived. And, and instead of getting discouraged, instead of getting overwhelmed, instead of getting confused and frustrated, that we would find hope and comfort. And that you can take the canvas of our lives and, and you can do something amazing. And I pray, God, that you would speak through me this morning, that your spirit would do what only he can do, and that's take our heads, take our hearts, and put them on the same page this morning, that the response would be that we would be people of action. In Jesus' name, amen. So Tim asked me to speak a while ago, and uh, I was working on something and felt pretty good about it. You know, the downside of coming in and uh, every once in a while is you have to ask yourself, okay, what should I speak on? When you're in a series, it's a little easier. And so I'm sitting there last week, and, and I'm feeling pretty good coming into church and kind of my head rehearsing what I'm going to speak on today. And about five minutes into that, I'm like, he stole my message. True story. I'm like, I, I have to come up with something else because what he is saying is exactly what I was going to talk about. And I even talked to him about it, you know, the next day. And I'm like, hey, should I just keep going? Here's what I was heading. He goes, nah, nah, it looks like God did it for you. And I probably did it so much better than I could have anyway. So I decided that I'm just actually going to kind of piggyback on what Tim talked about. And I'm going to take his conclusion, and it was a good one, by the way, but I'm going to blow it up into a whole message. And so I <clears throat> just want to remind us of something Tim said last week. He said this. He said, my question for you this morning is not one of hearing, but one of doing. And my question is this, am I ready to do it now? What have I heard that I need to do something about? And then he played that video, Lord, I'm ready now. And so I'm wondering, what was your response from last week's message? I'm wondering, what did you do this week? Now, if you're thinking, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to do something. Well, then, welcome to the world of excuses. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? I, I wrestled with that one. But, but here's the thing, we all have excuses, right? And maybe the excuse is, well... I just don't have time. You know, I, I'm so busy right now, and I, I would love to, boy, I just, I felt like maybe I should help with, there's a need for nursery in the bulletin, but you know how hard it is for me to even get here at 10 o'clock, let alone 9 o'clock, and how hard it is to come and watch somebody else's kids when I have my own kids. And maybe it's the excuse of time. Maybe it's the excuse of, well, yeah, I paid my dues, right? I've done that. I think that now when it comes to mowing the grass, right, my son can mow the grass because I've mowed the grass plenty of years, and it's time for somebody else. And maybe, maybe you're sitting here thinking, yeah, well, I have, I've done that, been there, done that, and bought the shirt, the bumper sticker, whatever you want to say it, and I've, I've led BBS, and I've led Fall Fun Fest, and I've helped out in the community, and I've gone on mission trips, and I've done that, now it's time for somebody else. Maybe the excuse is something like, um, I don't have the skill. I, you just, you don't want me doing that because I'm not skilled that way. Or maybe you're feeling like, well, I would love to, but... I'm too much of a mess right now. And if you knew the mess that I was in, then you probably wouldn't even ask me to kind of give back and, and help other people. Maybe it's, I don't have the resources. I don't have the money. I don't have the, the gifts. I don't have, you know, I don't know. You fill in the blank. But I'm wondering, and maybe I'm making an assumption that's a little unfair. I'm wondering, last week when you sat and watched that video and you heard Tim's challenge, I'm wondering what excuse you gave yourself. Now, maybe you didn't. Don't, don't you know, get up and leave. 
And, uh, but I'm wondering, because that's what we do, right? We hear stuff, and, and I'll give you another quote in his message last week that he said, I'm, in the beginning of his sermon, he said, I'm hoping this isn't the result of this morning. It's much easier, by the way, to follow his sermon when he gave you the notes, so you can read like, oh, that's what you said. I was dozing off, to, just kidding. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, but here's the thing. We all have them, and sometimes we say them, oh, well, I just don't have time. And sometimes they're, sub- they're just subconscious. And I'd like to share with you a time when, when, when God asked me, are you ready now? And I had all kinds of excuses. But you have to hear a little bit about my history. I grew up um, kind of in a very dysfunctional home, a lot of, a lot of problems. My, uh, my father was, was abusive uh, to my mother, to me, to, to my sister, and I was one of five kids. And when I was 12 years old, my mom, I guess, had enough of it. And we came home from school, and she said to me and my sister, we're leaving. Take what you want. And we went from Washington, D.C. up to the state of Maine. She wanted to get as far away from my father as she could and be able to start over to be able to get away from the abuse and, and all the stuff that goes along with that. And um, so I went from having a mom and a dad to being the man of the house as a 12-year-old boy. And if you ever had to be the man of the house at a 12-year-old, you probably don't, didn't do it as well, just like I didn't. And at one point, my mom, in frustration, um, just told me to get out. And I got out, and I'm walking down the street, and I'm walking about three miles. The only person I knew uh, where to live, because their family had reached out to ours, was my math teacher. And I'm walking down the road, and I remember saying this to God. I remember saying, God, I don't know if you're who you say you are, or who I've heard that you are. This is what I said. I'm not saying that we should say this, but I said, if you prove it to me, I'll do whatever you want. And I forgot that prayer. And a short while later, my, I, I actually, my mom allowed me to move in with my math teacher, and he raised me, and some of you know him as my dad. And, and <clears throat> um, fast forward to, I'm 17 years old. For the summer, I'm working at a camp called Montrose Bible Conference. It was a Tuesday, and I worked in the kitchen. And after I was done, I would go up to what they called the tabernacle back then. They would have big speakers coming through all the country, musicians. And, and those that worked in the kitchen, we always got there late, so we sat way in the back. And I'm sitting in the back, and I'm thinking to myself, as anybody thinks, right, the summer of their junior year, okay, what am I going to do with my life? I honestly had no idea what I was going to do. And it's just that it was clear as day. God said to me, remember that deal you made with me when I was 12, when you were 12? And I'm like, yeah, I forgot about that. That's right. And he said, well, I've done my part. Now it's your turn. And, and I remember thinking, so what, is, what does that mean? And as clear as day, God told me to open up the 2 Timothy 4. And so I opened up the 2 Timothy 4, and here's what it says. On July 21st, 1984, on a Tuesday evening, I read these words. I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, and train. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I was like, okay. God, I, God, I think you're calling me to be a preacher. That's, that's all I could think of right about then. And I went up to the speaker that evening, and I said, hey, did you speak at all on God's call for your life or what God wants for your life, or did you use Second Timothy 4 at all? And he said, no. So I went up to the camp director, and I said, I think God wants me to be a pastor. Now what do I do? And I got to tell you, I had all kinds of excuses because I had the excuse of money, grew up in poverty, didn't have any money, honestly. I 
you know, I didn't have any money. I was working at a camp. As you, those of you that have done that, they don't pay a whole lot. If you're a camp director, I apologize, but they don't pay a lot. You don't do it for the money. And <clears throat> I, I was just a dysfunctional, hyper, ADD kid. Um, and here God is saying, I'm going to give you this charge. And I can think of all the reasons why I shouldn't do it. And, uh, but I felt like, well, God, I'd made a deal with you when I was 12, and you asked me, I told you to prove to me that you're, if you're who you say, well, I'll do anything, so that's what I'll do. And I took all the reasons why I shouldn't, and I said, you're going to have to overcome an awful lot of obstacles if you really want me to do this. Now, why am I telling you this story? Because I believe that every single one of us I'm going to use this in a generic sense, so if you're the theological type, don't, don't get mixed up on this word here, but all of us have a calling from God that he wants us to do something. And week after week, day after day, he's asking us to do it. And yet so often we think of all the reasons why we shouldn't. And I guess I'm here to tell you if God can take a 12-year-old dysfunctional, hyperactive kid and say, I want to use you to preach the word, then he can use anybody. And so if you were here this morning, and you're thinking, well, I'm a mess, I don't know, I want you to know that God wants to make a masterpiece out of that. And if you're here and you're saying, I don't think I'm a mess anymore, I think I'm doing pretty good, things are going great, that God wants to take you and make a masterpiece out of you. And so what I'd like us to do is kind of walk through um, that passage that meant so much to me, um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you want to open up there. And I want to walk through the, the really simple here. It was so simple, I decided not to put it on a keynote presentation, but the what God wants us to do, the why he wants us to do it, and the how he wants us to do it. The what, the why, and the how. Did I, I pray yet? I didn't pray, did I? Did I pray? Oh, okay, good. Phew. I didn't. Some are saying I did, some are saying I didn't. Well, let's pray again, just so I can calm down a little bit before we get started. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for just your redeeming work um, in my life and, and all of our lives and our church and our community. And God, nothing, nothing is beyond what you can do. And I pray this morning that you would motivate us, challenge us, encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who would judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Now stop for a second. Have you ever said to someone when you were kids, you don't do it now, right? You said, I swear on the Holy Bible, right? That just meant that you were really serious, right? And and I'm I'm not just joking. Or, I swear on my great-great-grandmother's grave, you know, or... We try to give credence to, like, I'm telling the truth. Don't recommend doing this. Well, never mind, there's kids in the room. But, but I sometimes would say, you know, may this happen to me if I'm lying. Because we, we want people to know, whoa, okay, what he's about to say is really, really true. It's really serious. Look what, look what Paul does. He says, okay, in God's presence and in Jesus Christ's presence, and by the way, the same Jesus Christ is going to judge everybody, and it's coming back with his kingdom. Here's what I'm about to tell you. It's like, oh, okay. 
If this, is, if this has got God's name on it and Jesus' name and Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead and he's going to set up his kingdom, maybe you ought to pay attention. And Paul says this, I give you this charge. Here's the what. Preach the word. And some of you are like, phew, phew. The challenge is to people to be a preacher. God didn't call me to be a preacher. I'm good. Keep going, Chuck. Keep going because you just, you just took me out of the equation. And certainly God is... Paul is talking to Timothy, and by the way, Timothy was a pastor in a church, right? Maybe not. The Bible doesn't really say that. He was certainly a leader in the church. He was certainly was a deacon. We don't know he was the pastor. It was about 100 years later that somebody called him the pastor, and we've been doing it ever since. But, but certainly this passage is transferable, and, and Paul is saying to Timothy, and God is saying to us, preach the word. And if you're sitting here thinking, oh, good. Chuck, God told you to go to Bible. That's what we did back then. When you're going to be a preacher, you went to Bible college, you know, and you went to seminary, and you did this, and you became a preacher. And so I hope everybody that wants to do that is hearing that and starts enrolling in Bible college. Well, that's not really what it means here. I mean, it is what it means, but what it really means is just to proclaim the message. Proclaim the good news. That's the what here. The what is proclaim the good news. What good news? Well, that God takes messes and makes masterpiece out of them. The good news that no matter who we are or where we've been or what we're doing, God can redeem that and use it for his glory. The good news that God sent Jesus Christ to earth to die for our sin. And every one of us is supposed to proclaim that message. John three sixteen and 17, right? We know that. For God so loved the world that he gave us one and only son, Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That is the good news. And we're called to proclaim that. We're called to proclaim that in light of the fact that Jesus is coming to judge the living and dead, and he's going to set up his kingdom, and there's work for us to do, and he wants us to proclaim that message. Not just John 3.16, but John 3.17. For God didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to love the world, to save the world, to care for the world. And that's the What? And he goes on, and, and by the way, there's other passages that talk about that. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope in Christ. And not just in our words, but in our life. Ephesians 4.1 says, we're supposed to live a life worthy of the calling we have received to be Christ followers. Philippians 1.27 says, we're supposed to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So in what we say and in how we live, we are called to proclaim the good news. We are all called to preach the word. In season and out of season. Now he's just not talking about, you know, in, in the spring or the fall or the winter or the summer. He's talking about in season and out of season. Another way to translate that would be when there's opportunity and when there's no opportunity. You see, sometimes, we've all done this, right? We're like, well, this is probably a good time for me to give to this cause because money's been better right now, so I'm going to give. But well, things are tight right now, so I'm not going to give. Well, you know what? The kids are grown, so I think I can help out with um, this kids' ministry or this teen ministry because I have time now. But over here, man, I've got three kids, five kids, ten kids, twenty kids, and I just don't have time. You get the idea? Right now, at this stage in our life, we, just, we, we have a lot of things going on, so I, I can't. But when things are better, I will. And that's really what he's talking to me. He's saying, listen, you can't break it apart like that. We are to proclaim the good news when it's convenient, when we have opportunity, when we have surplus, when we have you know, time, and also when we don't. 
in season and out of season. And then he talks, he continues on the what, and he says to correct, rebuke, and encourage. Some of us like that. Oh, my job's going to be to correct and rebuke. That's the part that I like. But look what it says after that. We are to correct. See, when people take the good news and they cheapen it, or they change it, or they add a little bit to that, we're supposed to correct them. And when people are living in a way that is not the way the gospel is supposed to be, and especially when they're believers and they're, and they're saying, I'm a believer, but living this way, we are to rebuke them. And when people are feeling so discouraged and like, I, I believe in the gospel, I'm following Jesus, but I am so weighed down by this loss, by this hurt, by this situation, we're to come alongside and encourage them. We're to do all three of those with incredible, incredible patience and very careful instruction. With, with so much gentleness and compassion because we want people to know what is the gospel message. That God can take messes and make masterpieces out of them. So, question I have to ask myself then, and, and for you to ask yourself, in what way is your life proclaiming the gospel? In what way are you preaching the word? Are you doing it just in season? And it's now it's not your season? So see that thing in the bulletin about people helping the nursery? By the way, if I was in charge of the church, which I'm not, I would never let people with babies run the nursery unless they have to be back there. Because you know what people with babies, when they're in the nursery, say to themselves? I don't know why I come to church, because I'm just end up in the nursery. I would make the older people serve in the nursery so the younger people can sit and hear a sermon for a change. That's just Chuck. That's free, by the way. No extra charge for that little thing. And if you're upset of you, I'm sorry. But, you know, what, what, is, what is your ministry? In what way are you preaching the word? And are you saying, I'm not in season right now, sorry, but when I'm in season, I will. But no, we don't have a choice. In season, not a season. And so in what way are you serving? Are you proclaiming the gospel? Are you preaching the word? Our church? Our community? Our country? Our world? What the junior hires did was proclaim the word. Sometimes we proclaim it verbally, right? We say, here's what the gospel is. Sometimes we're support staff to the proclaim the gospel. And we're behind the scenes. And we're giving. We're praying. We're, we're doing stuff that nobody sees. We're going early and turning lights on and, you know, making the blinds be where they're supposed to be or closing the doors or we're driving by and somebody left a light on and we're thinking, oh, I think I'll stop and turn that light off because I want to be a part of the mission of proclaiming the gospel. And this is a little role that I can have. Sometimes we serve. Sometimes we support those that are serving. But here's my question for you. The message ended last week, and are you ready now? So I'm asking you, what are you ready to do? Like, what, what, what is going to be your ministry? How are you going to be a part of preaching the word? That's the what. The why is, he goes on, and he says this. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine, women either. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. You see, the what is that people need to know that there's a Savior. You know that song we sang at Easter, Sometimes He Lives? Right, you know that one? And I just forgot the rest of the end of the first verse, but, but never mind. It talks about people need a Savior. And um, that's what God's called us to do. But here's the thing. False proclaimers, false prophets, false teachers 
will always come in and distort the message just a little bit. Not so much that people say, oh, that doesn't sound like the gospel. But people hear it and say, yeah, sounds good to me. And that's not something new. Let me read to you. I'm going to run through some verses, and you can listen to the podcast afterwards if you want to write these down. I'll say them if you're a fast writer. 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there were false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Romans 16, 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. 1 John 4, 9. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, but devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Say that fast quickly. 2 John 1. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. A couple more here. 1 Timothy 6. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Galatians 1.8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elements, elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. Over and over and over again, the New Testament says, beware, be on the lookout, because people are going to come in and they're going to offer a different gospel. They're going to offer a false gospel. And as preachers of the word, as proclaimers of the truth, it is our responsibility to be defenders of the truth as well. That's why we're called to preach the word. The gospel is way too important. There's too much at stake for us to to alter it in just any way. You see, here's the gospel I'm in need, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. There's no way around that. The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man but ends in death. I'm a sinner. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have fallen short of God's standard. And I'm a sinner. And there's not good things that I can do. There's not, I don't have it within me. I don't have superpowers that I can just, you know, be a Marvel's agent of shield and I can just, you know, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a savior, and there's no way for me to sugarcoat that, coat that, change that. I'm a mess in need of a master to do his masterpiece. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus died as my savior. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way. There's all kinds of people who said, hey, here's another way. Let's go in this door. Hey, you ever think about hanging in this window? You ever try to come down through this way? You know, there's no other way in heaven other than through the name of Jesus Christ. And he's the Savior. And I can live in victory over sin and death because of Jesus. 
the world needs to hear that message. There are people who are dying to live in victory, who feel so lost, who feel so empty, who are in such a mess to feel like there's, my life is now a, a waste. I once heard somebody say, I give up. A Christian, I give up. I'll never conquer this sin, so I'm just going to give up and just give into it. Somebody said to me in the community the other day, they said, uh, that we, were, we were in a setting and they said this, I'm here because I feel like my loss, I lost my way and I'm hoping that you can help me get it back. That's the gospel, that we can live in victory over sin and over death because of Jesus Christ. And so there's too much at stake for me to not preach the word because if I'm not preaching the word, the truth, the gospel, then somebody else is going to come alongside me and they're going to preach something other than the gospel. The scriptures say over and over and over again, watch out for that. And so why has God called me to do that? Why has he called us to do that? Because there's so much at stake. And the world is so in desperate need of the truth. And then we get to the how. The what is preach the word. The why is because the world is in desperate need of the truth. And the how, he says in verse 5. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Let's look at each one of these four. Keep your head in all situations. That's why I always say, I say it a lot, I, just, I don't always live it, but I say it. The head and the heart have to get on the same page, right? I have, my, I have to keep my head in all situations because sometimes my head is needed to guide my heart because my heart is all over the map. And so I have to have the mind of Christ. I have to seek those things which are above, not on the earth. And that's what he's telling. After he just talked about people that will just say, go find people to say whatever they want to hear, he says to Timothy, but you keep your head in the game. Keep your head in it. It's sort of like biking or any other sport, right? After a while, it no longer becomes an endurance of the body. It becomes an endurance of the mind. And your body will, will, you know, will tell you that you're done, but your mind can overrule that, right? And your mind can say, nope, we're not done. That's why I love my heart monitor, because when I'm, at, I'm dying and I'm at 96%, my mind says, no, no, you still got four. Keep going. I don't always keep going, though. <clears throat> and then he also says this. Keep your head in all situations. Endure the hardship. There will be times when it is so discouraged and you don't think that you can go on anymore or you say, why am I doing this? Or I'm just going to stop this. I just can't do this. There'll be times when every single one of us will have that. And the challenge is when you're a proclaimer of God's word, endure the hardship. Continue on in the hardship. Then he says, do the work of an evangelist. And we're all called to do that whether you think that's your gift or not. We're all called to make sure that people that we know, that we see, we're telling them about the mess of Jesus Christ. And then he says this one that's meant so much to me over the years. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. That means there's multiple duties, right? I mean, all the duties of your ministry. So if you think, well, yeah, my ministry is this. Well, maybe it's, maybe it's also this. About a year after I'd been to the factory, I just confessed this to you, but I've shared it with other people. I was praying and I thought, God, did I fail? Here's what I thought. I'm just going to be honest with you. Did I fail? Because I thought my ministry was going to be travel the country and talk to youth pastors and equip them and empower them to be effective at reaching teens. And that's what I said to God. Now I'm on the backside of nowhere working with people that 
not that many people even know or care about. Where did I mess up? And God was like, you need to go back and read that passage again, particularly verse 5. He didn't say that. He said, you need to go back and read it. And I read it, and it says, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now, I'm not here to tell you that I'm the model example of verses 1 to 5. I'm not. But what God has taught me is, you know, there will be seasons in your life when your duty is this, and then it's this, and then it's this, and it's this. And throughout the course of your life, you should be discharging all the duties of your ministry. Some of you right now, your duty in the ministry is to be prayer warriors. I shouldn't even say be prayer because we all should be prayer warriors, right? But that's what you can do. Some of you, it's like, well, I can give. God has blessed me, and that's, that's my duty right now, and I'm going to give, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to listen to the teenagers get up and go and throw sledgehammers down and break up concrete, and I'm going to say, God bless them, and I'm going to give financially so that they can do that. But discharge all the duties of our ministry. So what is the what? Oh, let me, let me read you a quote. I don't know if you ever heard of this guy. His name is um, Jim Martin. He's the vice president of Harding School of Theology, and I love what he says. He says this. Ministry does not begin with an assignment at church. It does not begin when you take on a program or a ministry at church. Ministry does not begin when you have an office in your church building or when you keep office hours. Ministry does not begin when you have a church leadership role or even some kind of authority that seems to go with your ministry. Every man and woman in Christ is called to, is called to live out an authentic life in Christ. This life is my ministry. My ministry is my life. This morning, as you're at home with your family, your ministry is already happening. As you go to work, your ministry is already being lived out. Your ministry is happening wherever and whenever you live and are present in another's life. I love that. Your ministry is your life. Your life is your ministry. That, that's, how, that's how God's called us to preach the word. He's called us to do it as a life of ministry. And he challenges Timothy with these four things. Let nothing sidetrack you. Why? Well, because what he's about to say, what he just said, he's saying in the presence of God. That's how important it is. There's a lot of things I wouldn't say in the presence of God, right? I mean, just, I don't know if it's that important. God's here. Hey, maybe we ought to think about something different. But when somebody says, hey, what I'm going to say, I'll, I'd say in God's presence, in Jesus' presence, and I'd say it because Jesus is going to judge everybody someday, and I'd say it because he's going to come back and he's going to set up his kingdom, and I'm a part of that, and then I want to listen. I don't want to preach the word. I want to proclaim the truth in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage, Great patience, careful instruction. Because the time's going to come when people are going to just say whatever, find people to say whatever their itching ears want to hear. But us, we're to keep our head in all things. We're to endure the hardship. We are to, forget what it said already, we are to do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of our ministry. So what is going on? If your life is a ministry, what is your ministry right now? What is going on? Not doing anything is not an option. That's the one excuse that none of us have. It's not an option. Tim said in the beginning of his message this. He said that last week, the danger with faith that I want to raise to the surface today 
is that it is dangerous to think that because you hear what you should do, you're set to go. The danger is to think that because you've heard the truth, you've felt challenged, you've felt compelled, your heart has been stirred, that you're actually acting in faith. 31 years ago, God called me to proclaim his message. He's taken the mess of my life over and over and over again, and he's trying to make a masterpiece with it. A masterpiece that represents who he is and what he wants to do with humanity. I don't know if God's spoken to you this morning. It's the second week, so he's kind of given you the chance. I'm going to challenge you to do something. I thought about I just didn't have time creating an organizational flow chart that says, do you want to serve in the church? Okay. You want to be in the nursery, children's ministry, and list all them out, adult ministry, college age ministry. Do you want to serve in the community? Okay. We got the factory ministries, and we have all the, and list all these things out. Do you want to serve regionally? Okay, we have this. Do you want to serve overseas? And kind of list them all out. And, and then I was going to have a section that said, I actually created it, but it didn't look very good. And, um, oh, you, don't, you can't be involved because of different limitations. Then we have this whole section. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give. I'm going to encourage. I'm going to write notes. And just, you know, and when I was done this whole infographic, I thought, there's nothing left. Like, everybody can fit into one of those. So here's what I'll challenge you with. And I didn't do that, by the way. You can call the church, call the factory, you can call whomever. Here's what I'll leave you with. What are you passionate about? What excites you? That's where God wants you to be involved. I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago, and I was just talking with this person, and they said, adults are okay. I like they, I'm paraphrasing, so if you're here, know that I'm not doing just what you said, but that's why I'm not using your name. Adults are okay, but what I'm really comfortable around is children. So then they can work with children. And uh, what has God passioned you about? What resources has he given you? Let me encourage you. I almost played the video again, but I knew we'd be running late. You know, Lord, I'm ready now. I've got to tell you something. When I was 17, Tuesday evening, July 21st, 1984, when I said, okay, Lord, then that's what I'll do, I was scared to death. Didn't have a penny. Had all the reasons why I shouldn't do it. But I said, if this is your call, God, then I have no choice but to follow it. I haven't always, fo- I mean, I'm just, I don't, again, I'm not the example of 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 5. I'm not. I hope I can provide an example. If God can call me and use me, then he can call you and use you. There are so many ways to minister in our church and our community. So many. We are constantly not doing stuff because we don't have people to do it. And um, there's so many ways for you to get involved. Maybe that'll be the next time I preach, we'll do that infographic. Let's pray. God, I thank you for taking my mess, all my messes, and making a masterpiece out of them. God, I don't understand why you would choose me. There's so many people better qualified, so many people that would that would do a better job than what I do, but you've chosen me to preach the word because you are, you, you're longing for men and women who are so committed to the truth that they would defend the truth to everybody else that tries to water it down or change it or modify it.
And God, I pray that my life would be a ministry, that everything I do would be because I want to proclaim your message. And God, for all my friends that are sitting here this morning, I I don't know if you're stirring them or what you're stirring them about, but the challenge last week is there's something that you should do with what you've heard. And the challenge through the video, Lord, I'm ready now. I pray that this day wouldn't end before they seek out a way in which they can be part of proclaiming the gospel, whether up front or whether behind the scenes. In Jesus' name, amen.